What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Getting ready for the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. Appreciate you being here with me, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And man, we have a lot for you this evening. We've got Nick Casario. We have got Wade Smith later in the show with a little Texans OGs with our good buddy N.D. Kalu. we got Wes Durham, play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Falcons. We've got, oh man, wait for this one. Will Anderson Jr., who did his very first deep slant interview. And a little birdie told me that Will Anderson actually sings Adele. I'm not saying who said it to me, but DP Sidhu told me that in the studio today. So I'm taking her at her word. Uh, and then ITL in the lab with Drew Dory and myself. So we've got plenty to do, man. A lot to do on this Wednesday night show. But we kick off each and every Wednesday with the general manager of your Houston Texans. That's Nick Casario. And stick around for a question that Mark asked about what television show Nick watched growing up. And trust me, it is gave me chills i'll tell you why in a little bit here's nick with me and mark and joining us now the hyundai texans radio studio executive vice president and general manager nick casario nick how's it going gents good to be here well congratulations on the victory and it really was special to see the texans come out so strong against the steelers a day where jj watt goes in the ring of honor and a 30 point output what were your impressions of the day nick yeah, it was probably a good day for everybody involved. I think the most important thing is we play good football. So anytime you play good football, there's kind of a trickle-down effect. Uh, I think the halftime ceremony, really the whole weekend for J.J., um, you know, is well-deserved. Um, there's a lot, and hopefully he was happy with the result and happy with the outcome. Um, from a team standpoint, I think the big thing is we were able to get off to a fast start. So we were able to take the ball, go down the field, and score, which we haven't done uh, over the first three games. So got off to a good start. Gained a little bit of momentum, uh, you know, played well defensively, you know, in the first half, you know, we're up 13 nothing, and then we're able to execute there at the end of the first half, kick the field goal up 16 nothing. so against a good Pittsburgh team. So I think being able to get off in a good start, uh, off to a good start was key to the game. Uh, it was a good atmosphere. Uh, I know the Steelers had a lot of fans, but there was a lot of Texans fans in the, uh, in the stadium as well. So um, overall, I think we're pleased with the performance, um, celebrated on Monday, and time to move on to, and get ready for Atlanta, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Nick? Nico Collins has been he's been really good this year. There's no doubt. I want to go back, if you don't mind, to his draft evaluation because he doesn't play in 2020. The whole COVID thing with the Big Ten was all jacked up, and by that point, when he had already decided, I'm out. So he doesn't play in 2020. <clears throat> he does go to the Senior Bowl for a few days, for a week. What did you see in Nico back then, and how much trust did you have to kind of put in what you saw before COVID because you obviously didn't see him during COVID? Yeah, no, it's a great point. So I'd say... The player evaluation sometimes is going to be specific to the individual player, and you really can't control the circumstances. The only control are the things that you see on tape. Um, as you alluded to, he had a good season there um, the, the prior to the COVID yeah. year. So you saw th- some things from his size. Um, he was athletic for his size. When he showed up to the senior bowl, candidly, he was probably a little bit heavy, a little bit overweight. Um, so I think from the time he was drafted until now, um, he's put in a lot of very diligent work, kind of reshaped his body. He's in good condition. He's strong. The things that we've asked him to improve, he's improved. Probably where he's made the biggest jump is just the run after catch. I think a lot of that is the way that Bobby and the offensive staff coach um, running with the ball after the catch. There's certain techniques that are involved, and I think he's embraced that. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's 6'4", 215, 220 pounds. 
sometimes it's a confidence thing, like just play to your size, play with conviction. Don't kind of pitter your feet. Catch a ball and get vertical and make it hard for the defense to tackle you. Um, and I think you're starting to see the fruits of some of that labor that Nico uh, has put in. But going back to the evaluation, you try not to put too much stock in, whether it's just the senior bowl, if you go based off of that, it could um, skew your evaluation. I want I'm it's not the same. I'm not saying they're the same players, but this was similar to Gronkowski when he came out. Yeah. You know, Rob basically missed a year yeah. of football. So you have to go off of the information you have from the previous year, whatever it is, and then put it all together and then just make a determination, a decision about how you feel about the player. Nick, I know there are a lot of answers to this question, but to what do you attribute the play of the offensive line last couple of weeks, no sacks, all the adjustments you've had to make? How do you see it? Yeah, I'd say work ethic and coaching. So I think when the players put the work in on a day-to-day basis, um, they take a lot of pride in what they're doing. Um, You know, frankly, they probably have heard the noise or negativity so maybe surrounding their place. So I think that at times there's a certain pride element that's involved as Mm -hmm. well. And you have a challenge on the other side of the ball that we were facing relative to Highsmith and TJ, who are arguably two of the best edge rushers in the league. And I think what Coach Strausser and Cole have done with that group, and I think just staying kind of consistent. And I think we've adopted the mantra mindset. D'Amico and I have talked quite a bit about this. Just figure it out and make it work because that's the NFL. So we're not going to make excuses. Whoever is available to us, try to make the best decision, put the players on the field that are available to us, and go out there and try to play good football and just have confidence in your teammate, have confidence in one another, have confidence in your training, and then go out there um, and try to perform to the best of your ability because that's all any of us can ask of any of our players. Nick, the rookie class has, has performed very, very well. I think a guy that gets lost in it a little bit is Dylan Horton. But when he's on the field, he's been making plays. What did you see in him coming out of TCU? And what have you seen in the growth of him the last few weeks in particular? Yeah, typically take eight or nine defensive linemen to the game. They're all going to play. They're all going to be on the field. Um, Dylan missed a, a pocket of training camp there. He was out for a few days. I think what you're seeing, and D'Amico has talked about this with players, you're just seeing improvement. So is the player improving from where they started to where they are now? Um, Dylan played a lot of good football at TCU. I think he sort of reshaped and modified his body. There was a lot of weight fluctuations yep. when he was at TCU. He was asked to do certain things. I think he's embraced the techniques and he's embraced the fundamentals um, and the coaching that you know we've asked of him. Um, so each week he gets incrementally better. I think the play on the Y screen there the other day was a very aware, instinctive play. Um, you know, it could have been a big play, but something that we rep, we worked during the course of the week. We knew this was a screen team. It's, you know, to be able to make that play, to be able to kind of see the formation, see the adjustment, see how it was being blocked and then react, you know, certainly a big play in a game. And I think one of the things that you've seen from the defensive line, it's all with rank, it's all with Dylan at different points, is their ability to run out of the stack, turn and run, which goes back to the mindset and the swarm mentality that we've kind of built into the defense that D'Amico believes in strongly. I asked Coach about this, about the Bama backers, right? You have Christian Harris and you have Henry, and those guys are like brothers. They're siblings, if you will, uh, making tackles, making stops. And Johnny was raving about Henry stopping the back of the end zone on Pickens. Can you talk about that stuff? Yeah. I mean, specifically, that play is a very instinctive play. Um, we were in a coverage where they created a matchup, you know, where the receiver was going to be on a linebacker. Um, you know, Henry got himself in good position. Um, kind of played through the hands there and, and finished the play. I yep. think, you know, D'Amico talks a lot about finishing and 
that was really a great example of that because Pickens actually had his hands on the ball. Henry kind of continued to play, and then when he hit the ground, the ball popped out. But um, we've seen this from spring to training camp. Henry's a very instinctive player, um, kind of had an understanding of what they were going to do on that play, and he went out there and made a play. But I think those two players have certainly improved. Christian certainly made improvements, even going back to last season. He was out the first four or five games, so he was injured. Um, you know, and there was a little bit up and down with him, but I think he's made some incremental progress as well. And you know, we've talked about this from week one to week four. You just want to see hopefully improvement in your team, both individually and collectively. And you're starting to see that across positions and specific to those two players that you just mentioned. Nick, you've been around a lot of teams uh, throughout your career, a lot of different iterations of Patriots teams, different iterations of Texans teams. So it's kind of a strange question in some sense, but what does confidence do for a team? Because it feels like the team that we saw on Sunday was playing with a lot of confidence coming off that win against Jacksonville. And I would imagine having a lot more confidence coming out of this win uh, against Pittsburgh. What can confidence do for a team? But also there's that fine line of confidence can't turn into cockiness as well. Yeah, I think the reality is it's about mindset and it's about belief. So do you believe in what is in front of us do you believe you can go out there and win that's a big part of it so it's about what's your mindset and then during the course of the week are you doing the things that are conducive to winning so and when when you go out there and you see sort of the fruits of your labor manifest themselves in the result then I think that builds confidence just collectively as a group if we do the right things if we go out there and play the way we're supposed to play then it's going to lead to hopefully good results so we played that game uh, specifically against Pittsburgh the right way. We didn't turn the ball over. We had to advance. We talked about this at the in the pregame about yep. having the advantage in the running game. Yep. We had the advantage in the running game. Didn't turn the ball over. Played better in a red area, and so as a result, you know we yep. you know won the football game. So I think it's just belief has never wavered. But I think when you see it manifest itself in positive results. The players understand what's going on. The players are aware of what's happening on the field. They believe in each other. They have a lot of confidence in each other when they're on the field. Sometimes the ball is going to bounce the way that you want it to bounce, but it's about the work that you do during the course of the week and are you prepared to go out there and play a good football game against a good football team. Don't really necessarily get worried. Don't worry about what the result is going to be. Focus on the process that's going to lead to those results. And if you do the right things and you have a chance, if you don't, then you're probably going to make it a little more difficult on you to win the football game. You mentioned running the football better. We talk about this every week, but again, another big step forward in the running game. And what was going through your mind when Devin Singletary is rolling to the right and, oh, my goodness, he's going to throw it. Yeah, we, we practiced that play a few times during the course of the week, <laughs> frankly. And I think a couple of guys have mentioned it didn't look great. <laughs> um, but it goes back to what we just talked about, just having confidence that you trust your teammate, you trust that he's going to do the right thing, trust that Devin's going to make the right decision, that drive, the way it was set, set up. I and mean, we, we shoot some time off the clock, um, and Bobby felt confident in the call. He made the call, and it was just two football players making a football play. So, I mean, Motor's a good football player. Motor's been a good football player as long as he's been in the league. He's been a good football player since he walked in the building. We have a lot of confidence with Motor's on the field, um, and Motor had confidence and. Dalton that he was going to make the catch, and we had confidence that Motor was going to make the right decision because if they take it to play well, play away, then you're just going to go have to keep the ball, and he'll run it out or just you know make a right make a, make a good decision. Throw so, it out of bounds. Or that's, that's or tough to do for or, a running back, right? <laughs> well, it's just split second decision. Yeah. So you have to see where's the defense. You know, Peterson kind of. You know, he took a step forward, so there was a little bit of space. Fitzpatrick was late coming over, so he was actually able to put it in position, but there was a little bit of space, so it was a well-executed play. 
When you give a guy that doesn't throw the ball the opportunity to throw the ball, he's throwing that sucker. <laughs> he's throwing it. There, yeah. There's no doubt he's throwing yeah. that sucker. And he's sucker. going to be asking for the next time he's yeah. going to be able to throw exactly. the ball. So that's there, there's no question. Okay, this one's behind us. Let's move forward. Sunday, go to the, uh, Atlanta, take on the Falcons. It's an NFC team, so it's not one we see a lot. But D'Amico brought up a great point. He faced them last year when he was with San Francisco, so that does help. But let's dive into it. Bijan, Pitts, London, a lot of great athletes offensively. AJ Terrell, Greg Jarrett, it's going to scout report Nick of the Falcons. Yeah, a good football team. You know, they're kind of the inverse of the Texans this year. So they started 2 and 0, lost the last two. We lost the first two, won the last two. So, um good football team. They have a lot of young explosive players. Um Arthur um has done a good job. Um and Terry, they've done a good job of kind of putting together a good football team. They kind of made the change last year, I want to say week 12, 13, whatever it was when they inserted Desmond into the lineup of quarterback. Um, offensively, they have a lot of, I would say, hybrid, very versatile players. Um, you know, Bijan, Bijan is, is, is a really good football player, does a lot of things. He can run, he can catch, he's explosive. He and Tyler are a good complement to one another. I mean, Tyler he ran for 1,000 yards last year, so the good one-two mm. punch. CP's on his way back. CP didn't play the first three games. CP's got a really unique sort of background, but a lot of hybrid players. Pitts is a tight end, but he's really a receiver. Drake's a big receiver. He can do a lot of different things. They have a good offensive line. So they've played well at mom- at times. Um, they, the games that they've struggled, they've turned the ball over. So it goes back to the correlation between taking care of the football and winning and losing. Um, and defensively, I'd say a little bit different than Pittsburgh relative to where the problems lie. I'd say Anyamata and, uh, and Grady Jarrett present a lot of problems inside. They have good edge rushers. But Jared and Anyamata um, are involved in a lot of the negative plays. Um, Anderson just went on IR, the kid they took from Montana State, yeah. uh, um, you know, a couple years ago. Um, but they brought over some players that have experience in the New Orleans sort of system or defense. Um, so Ellis, you know, Anyamata had played yep. for Coach Nielsen. Yep. Um, so defensively, it's kind of Coach Nielsen. Jerry Gray is involved, but. Good front, and then you mentioned the secondary. A.J. Terrell is probably one of the better corners in the league. He's gotten continually better. He shadowed Ridley there the other day. They signed Bates, um, who's one of the best free safeties, one of the best safeties, who creates a lot of negative plays. So they made a, a lot of uh, – they committed a lot of resources in the offseason defensively, um, and they I think they've given up, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 points a game. You know, they're playing good on defense. Right. They tax you. The coverage is really it's it's man, but it's not. It's all match. So they make it hard on the offense, and they make you execute plays. And then offensively, they have players that are capable of making explosive plays, and are pretty solid in the kicking game. So you mentioned it. You, you, this is a team that the AFC, excuse me, the NFC South. Only see them once every four right. years, and then we're going to see them the next you know four weeks in a row. Yep. Yeah. D'Amico and Bobby have kind of have experience playing them a little bit, so you kind of go back to that, but. It's a good young team with a lot of good players. Um, you have to play the right way in order to have success against yep. them on Sunday. Nick, zooming out, they played in London. They're going to play the next week. Didn't want the bye. Some teams like the bye. Some teams don't like the bye following an international trip. At some point, the Texans will do this again. But what are your thoughts on that in general and how to handle those things? Yeah, he, he can go either way. Mm-hmm. So we've been a part of teams where we've done it both ways, where you've practiced the whole week, go out there on Friday, you know, have a normal Saturday, play the game Sunday, and come back. Also going out there a few days ahead of time. So it's really more on the back end coming back. Monday, 
there's a little bit more of a Monday off mindset and mentality in the league. So losing Monday, I wouldn't say isn't necessarily a big deal. And then Tuesday's the off day. Then you're kind of into a normal Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for your preparation. So just logistically, you have to figure out what makes the most sense. Do you have the bye week on the other end of it or do you not? So um, it's about being flexible and mm -hmm. kind of adapting to the circumstances. But regardless of you know what Atlanta went through, they'll be ready to go um, when we go down there on Sunday. Nick, I know that Desmond had some struggles against Jacksonville through a pick six. That was tough. But what have you seen overall from Desmond from the time he got in the league until now? What kind of growth have you seen from Desmond? Yeah, Ray? he's done a good job. I mean, if you take the Jacksonville game out of it, he's he's really made sound decision, a good decision with the football. He's taken care of the football he's athletic I wouldn't necessarily call him a running quarterback but he's athletic for the position um, he can make some plays um, off schedule but Desmond had a lot of experience I mean, he's a four-year starter which you don't really see that much in college right. football won a lot of football games I would say that program was uh, built and developed over time what coach Fickle did um, so and then when he had an opportunity to play there at the end of the last season you know he played well so He's had his moments here this season um, as well. So, say Jacksonville, you know, their game was a result of turnovers. So, yeah. two interceptions, lost fumble. Then that translated into, you know, them ended up unfortunately losing the game from their perspective. But good young player, has some good athletic attributes, typically makes good decisions with the football and can make some plays with his feet. Nick, you've had some guys hurt, some guys coming back, and they continue to come back. How hard are some of these decisions you have to make with the roster, and how much has it helped over the last decade to have the flexibility of expanded practice squad, IR flexibility, and all of that? Yeah, Mark, it's really – I think it's it's benefited everybody. It benefits the players. Um, and then from a team standpoint, you just have to sort of take the information and just kind of build a strategy accordingly. So I think what you're trying to – figure out the most are those players in the shorter term duration that two to four week window all right you sometimes have to make a call maybe you say look we're just going to put them aside for four weeks that might be the best thing for the player and then after four weeks bring them back or could they come back if it's really they can come back maybe week two week three then you have a decision but otherwise this is where if you can build the depth of your team you feel comfortable with the players that you might have to use you understand you're going to have to utilize everybody at some point but the most important thing is the health of the players. So giving them the best opportunity to get themselves mentally and physically prepared for football, you know, that's a big part of it. And then whenever the practice clock, uh, practice clock starts, mm -hmm. then they got to get back into sort of football shape and football condition. So we'll kind of take it one day at a time. We'll see how practice goes this week and then we'll make a decision, you know, when it's appropriate about when those players are available. On a scale of 1 to 10, how envious are you that the Falcons got to play in Andy's room and the Texans have not gotten to play in Andy's room? Toy Story. I don't even yeah, know if don't, he knows I, what I was, what, to. I was going to ask that because I wanted to see his that's reaction. That's way over my head. Yeah. Oh, so you, know, you know the movie Toy you Story. You know the movie Vaguely, Toy Story. Yes. Okay. Don't ask me about movies. We've talked yeah. about no, that. No, no, no. So. Well, I, I know. I, 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 know, I missed they, that one. It was pretty awesome how they how they did it. They took the they basically took all the geo-tracking and everything and turned them into Toy Story figures and played the game from Atlanta, Jacksonville. I'll a, stick to normal football. Along those lines, though, now that we're on the subject, give us a show or two that you liked when you were a little kid. Oh, yeah. Growing up, you watched this because you liked it what was it transformers okay, or no, something actually, like that I, I'm, I'm probably gonna embarrass myself but that's okay no, that's um, okay we embarrass ourselves on a daily basis uh i actually was a saved by the bell uh, oh fan. here saved we go hell yes yes so i'd say that was one you have now gone um, on my ranking ricky schroeder silver spoons mm -hmm. so yeah, those are a couple that i'd say sort of that i may have watched yeah, uh, yeah from yeah. time to time so yeah absolutely. there you go yeah <laughs> and that, 
I can't believe you just said Saved by the Bell. You are you're like you're high in my rankings, but you just, I mean you just went up. That's huge. That's one of my. I just said that to Josh the other day. It was like Saved by Saved by the Bell was one of my favorites growing up. Zach Morris. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Screech. Okay, Nick. Thanks a lot. Good luck. <laughs> thanks, guys. All right. Great stuff there from Nick Casario. And I got to say, Mark and I were very good as well. So uh, let's make sure we get that clear. One of the things, Mark, that stood out when he was talking about the Falcons. Well, I thought you were going to bring up Saved by the Bell. Oh, I'd love that. You know yeah. that. I, 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 I'm I, still buzzing from that because that's – I don't know why that's one of my favorite shows too. I, I love that show. Elizabeth Berkley start talking about showgirls. Yes. He's going to go off the rails very quickly. Yeah, Kelly Kapowski is still – my oh wife my is in gosh. Los Angeles, right? She's in Los yeah, Angeles she, still? She's yeah, yeah, yeah. She, a couple weeks she'll You're be good. here, but I could say this. Kelly Kapowski was like – yeah. Oh, absolutely. She was she was the original crush uh, for me. I, she was gorgeous. Tiffany Amber Thiessen was her name. Then she went to two and zero, and it was even more so. But either way, <laughs> we'll we'll keep that aside. He's Told talking about he's talking about the Falcons. Yeah, and he mentioned one thing that I've always been a big fan of, but always on defense, but positionless football offense version. Oh yeah, and I feel like that's the Falcons, and. With B. John Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Patterson. Drake London, Patterson, I feel like they've got guys that, well, is that guy a receiver? Is that guy a tight end? Is that 11 personnel? Is that 12 yeah. personnel? That's one of the things that kind of messes with, in some sense, is how do you try and match personnel groups to what they have? Oh, they're in 21 personnel. We're going to put our base defense out on the field. Oh, that's 11 personnel. Let's get our nickel or our sub package out on the field. I feel like that could be one of the things that's most difficult in preparing for these guys. Well, it's always difficult when you have a lot of teams do this. The Texans do this. You put a wide receiver in the backfield, right? right you put right, a receiver right. in the backfield. Looks like a running back. Oh, wait a minute. It's Tank Dell or right. something like that, right? You hand off to Tank Dell out of orbit motion. Yes. Something like that. We see it all over the place with tight ends because there are a lot of tight ends who let's admit it are yeah they're a tight end but they're kind of really a receiver right. and they can block a little bit as right. well they're big dudes but they're not uh, they're not quatoriano type mm -hmm. tight ends right so i, I think that it, it's an interesting thing to talk about i think you could do a lot with running backs as receivers we talk about receivers in the backfield what about running backs as receivers mm -hmm. getting about why we see it all the time with empty backfield uh, Pierce motions out. He sets up in the slot. And by the way, Johnny, I think that as much as they've used it, which isn't a ton, but they've used it, they've spread the ball around. Nobody can complain about the versatility, the right. variety in the offense so far. But I still think there's a lot of stuff that they can do with Damian Pierce, oh, and they yeah. will do with Damian Pierce as the season progresses here as a receiver. I think the same for Devin. I think the same for Damian. Uh, I think there's more there for Dalton Schultz, too. Yeah. I think one of the one of the things about getting uh, linemen back this week, and hopefully Laramie's ready to go. Hopefully Titus is ready to go. Uh, they were both at practice today and practicing. Now again, we see a small part of it, so it could have been limited. Could have been just you know a, a small piece, but they were at least out there. That was good. So if you start to get those guys back, then. Maybe you don't have to use Dalton Schultz to chip all the time or to double. He could just go right to his route, you know, same with Brev and, and, and Tegan as well. But that worked against the Steelers to use the tight ends. And you didn't lose much in the passing game. But I think you can add to the passing game by having those guys back that you're like, okay, we don't feel like we got to help Laramie. Laramie's on yeah. his own island. Uh, he can handle who's ever out there. Um, 
you know, who's ever playing on the inside, whatever, wherever Titus is playing, whether it's tackle, um, he can be out there on his own. You can trust all of that. George Fant did a George Fant does not get enough credit for what he did against the Steelers and TJ Watt. He played a wonderful game. And I think the you know, Steelers fans, well, yeah, he had double teams and chips all the time. He had a few. He had a few, but he handled it on his own. And I think that was one of the things that was so um, I don't want to say enlightening, but was great to see that, man, you've got maybe with guys coming back, you maybe now have some depth on the offensive line. But I think that part could open things up for the tight ends, which now makes you even more dangerous. If you start adding in, you know, Dalton had three catches the other day. If you start getting him to he's five or six because mm. he's getting the best matchup. You know, he's beating linebackers. I mean, the, the throw down the seam, he had to beat a Landon Roberts. He gave him a little hesitation, went up the seam. CJ threw him a dot, and he caught it. Big play. Maybe those things start to happen when you get some of these guys back. But I'm with you. I feel like the offense has layers that they haven't even thought about peeling back yet. Oh, yeah, because look what we saw in game four versus game three right. versus game two, and it grows every week. Right. And I think they're – finding it enjoyable to yeah, experiment yeah. with new stuff and see what they can do. You know, one of the things that O'Brien said when Watson got hurt was, man, he was so much fun to coach that yep. year, right? And we talked about that year. They yep. used a lot of Clemson stuff, and they seemed to get away with that or right. from that when he came back the following right. year. But that's another topic. But I bring it up because the fun to coach thing. When you have a young pupil or young pupils like this as mm -hmm. a teacher, like Bobby Slowick does, and they're taking to it and executing. Everybody's working together to do the next fun thing. And how else can we be more explosive? Like Damian Pierce said the other day, that they feel like they can be even more explosive, more effective on offense. So let's see what they got. We're all here for it. And so far, it's working really well. And you know, Johnny, the other thing is this. We can talk about creativity all you want. To see Pierce do some of the things he did against the Steelers, the Damian Pierce that we saw last year, you put that kind of production and that kind of punishing running style, mm -hmm. which yep. he displayed on Sunday, and more of that, more production that way, in addition to this passing attack, you're going to score a lot of points. Because as much as you know, you could talk about the Falcons and what they can do to you, and you were just mentioning some of their weapons and positionless players and all of that, hey, if you just keep scoring, they can't touch you. Right. And I think this team feels like that. And I know I sound a little cocky when I say that, but I believe that they can move the ball on a lot of squads in this league right now. You know now. what's starting to emerge for me, and I've said this before, I think a team's greatness is measured by how many different ways they can beat you. Like, is that a team that you go out there and, okay, the defense can shut you down and win a game that way? They can win a 9-6 to six game. Is that one in which the offense can win a shootout, a 38-35 game? And it was funny. It sort of crystallized for me when I was watching um, America's game a long time ago with the New England Patriots in 2003. And I remember Charlie Weiss was talking about that. He said, we could win a 9-3 to three game. We could win a 38-37 game. Yeah. We could win a game that went back and forth. We could win yeah. games that we came from behind. That's the Parcells way, too. Yes. Right? Yeah. Many, if you can have multiple ways of winning a game, like, mm -hmm. hey, offense not quite feeling it today, but the defense is keeping you in the game yeah. for a long time because that's the, the unit you have over there. The more ways that you have to win games, the better. And I feel like that's starting to really kind of emerge for this team, especially getting the running game going the other day. Like, okay, could there be a game in which – 
man, you, you pound for 145, 150 yards on the ground, and they're just not stopping you, and you just keep handing it off because your identity that day is to just ground them into submission. And maybe there's going to be a day where they're loading the box with eight saying, you know what, all right, rookie, beat us. Yeah. And then Stroud has to, and he's done it already, and he'll do it again. So I like the fact that there are multiple ways for the Texans to go about winning games. And to that point, and to your point about you know getting cocky, getting confident, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a fine line. But what we've seen the last couple weeks has given us the opportunity to be confident. Like, man, we did that. And we didn't have all of our healthy guys. Yeah, we did that on defense, and we still were missing a couple of key guys. Mm-hmm. Man, what can we do to get everybody healthy? Or what can we do to get a lot of guys healthy? What can we do when they've got experience, or when Nico feels like he can't be stopped? What more can he do? So it's going to be a tough test, especially against this Atlanta defense. This Atlanta defense has got some dudes. Yeah, they got dudes on that defensive side. They don't give up much, especially in the passing game. And that worries me a little bit because you got AJ Terrell back there, you got Jesse Bates, you got some dudes in that secondary, and that does uh, that does worry me. You got Jeff Okuda who came over from the Lions. He was the number three overall pick a few years ago, and you know he's just getting back in after being injured. But that Atlanta Falcons defense is going to be no joke on Sunday. You know, I think about the last two games, and I wonder what would have happened if Andrew Beck doesn't return the kickoff for a TD, yeah. and what would have happened if the Steelers made that fourth down, yeah. right? Do they score? Does that put extra pressure on your offense? How do they respond? You're going to have situations yes. like that. You mm-hmm. know, as we enjoy this two-game winning streak, want to add it to a three-game winning streak and go on from there. And they're going to have situations where, yeah, they do get closer. They get really close. And, or maybe you're behind yeah. and you have to win a game that way. Right. We're going to see. It's all going to unfold. Like we saw during the team record nine-game winning streak in 2018, they had to win games in a variety of ways. Yep. Let's see if they can do it with this bunch and keep this thing going. It's the start of something. Let's see it turn into something really special. One key guy in all of this is the number three overall pick. Yeah, the Texans gave up a lot to go get their Lamborghini, but they got him. The Terminator. Will Anderson Jr. sits down with DP Sidhu. And a little birdie told me that she got him to sing. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for this. That's next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and it's time for our Deep Slant interview of the week brought to you by Xfinity. DP Sidhu sits down this week with Will Anderson Jr. You're not going to want to miss this. Take a listen. It's a Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. Our guest this week, Will Anderson, number three overall pick. Got the first quarter of the season under your belt. First of all, how are you doing? How's it going? I'm doing good. It's going great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. <laughs> um, but it's been a blessing. It's been fun so far. I'm just ready to see what else the season holds for us. I'm uh, wearing my New Balance shoes. I dug these up because you've got a New Balance deal. I didn't even peep. Okay, I, know, I, wore, I, I was like, I have some new balances somewhere. <laughs> Congrats on that. I just saw the announcement came out, what, like uh, a week or two ago? Yes. Okay, so how did that come about? Are you just like, it's an it's an interesting choice of brands, yes. I would say. Well, I'm all about being different. So, like, I just feel like, you know, most guys, you know, they go with Nike or somebody else. And I'm always talking about going this different route. And also, like, new balances on the beliefs and values that I have for, you know, myself and my family and being in the community and everything like that. And just being innovative, and that's something that they've been doing really well, you know, just innovating new things, like new fashions, new designs, and I'm all for it. So I was really excited to be partners with them and try to, you know, come up with the cleat, and then they, like, have us, like, 
making our own cleats, own designs, oh, own cool. cleats, on everything like that, just being hands-on. So it's really exciting and really fun. It's like what's old is new again, because I remember when New Balance was really in. I mean, I'm a little bit showing my age here. And now it's new again. And you, I was reading this great story in The Athletic about how you're super into thrift store shopping. Yes. So you do like old is new again. So, okay, so how did you get into thrifting, and what do you think about the thrift scene in Houston? Yeah, so it originally started with my grandmother. Um, her name was uh, Betty Childs. And at first I just used to go to like play, get all the old toys and everything like that. But then as I got older, I was like, hold on, like they got some good pieces in here. And then like me and my friends just used to go all the time and like get like all types of like vintage jackets, vintage pants and stuff like that. And what's really cool is like New Balance, their shoes, it goes perfect with like it all does. the boot, yeah. like boot cut pants and everything like that, like the baggy <laughs> look. So it's really fun and exciting just to, you know, adventure around different like lanes of clothing and different like lanes of like other brands, you know, that can connect with New Balance really well. Okay, but is it not hard to find your size in a thrift store? Like sizing is already tricky and then you're not, you know, an average size guy. You're huge. So how do you find your size? So I'll go for the oversized look. Okay. So I always like try to go over, over yeah, over yeah. oversized. Uh-huh. So like it's never really easy to find like a straight thirty eight. So sometimes I have to go up to like a forty or forty two. Oh, okay. And, and you get like, it taken in? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I and I read that you also take some some of your teammates also like thrifting. Who else do you think is big into that scene? Yeah, all of them. Um I went with who is that I went with that one day? Dang. No, it wasn't one of my teammates. It was one of my friends that came. But I know a couple. I seen Sting at one of the thrift stores that he was there. Okay. He likes thrifting. Derek Stingley, uh-huh. Yeah, he likes thrifting. I seen him I heard there. CJ likes to thrift. CJ likes to thrift, too. Okay. But the time I went was with one of my, my friends from back home. But I know, like, I seen CJ there and CJ. I mean, CJ and Sting there as well. Okay. Which city do you think has got a great thrift store scene? I got to say Georgia, of course. Georgia, but, really? Okay. But Houston has a lot of great thrifting uh, stores here, like Thrifted Threads is one that you probably read that, uh-huh, I, yeah. that I've been to. Um, but it's some other ones like, I was like, oh, wow, like y'all got a lot of vintage stuff in here. Uh-huh. I'll be back on one of these off days. Really? Yeah. Okay, and you find some good stuff yeah, in the thrifting stores? Yeah, a lot of great stores? stuff, yes. So is that what you were on game day, or do you buy, your stuff seems pretty high fashion, too. <laughs> I don't think you're finding those at thrift stores. So the- outs- Like, what's your, what's your fashion aesthetic like? My fashion aesthetic is just- Really calm, cool, and collected. I don't really like being really flashy, but I feel like sometimes some of the old stuff flashy to me. Like what my flashy is versus what somebody else flashy is is really different. I kind of just like I like cut off shirts a lot. So the outfit that you see me wear um, this past Saturday, yeah, I got like five more shirts just like that, <laughs> and I have some other brands like Dior and stuff like that that's cut off too. I mean, for me, it's really just what I feel comfortable in. You know, what I'm saying like what I want to wear. All right, so you look really comfortable showing up to the game. You're obviously very comfortable in the game. Let's talk about the first few games of the season. I yes. mean, you blocked a field goal, <laughs> which is amazing. It seemed like you could have had two blocked field goals. <laughs> what about that? Like, Drew Doherty was in here earlier, and he said, you got to ask Will, did that hurt blocking the field goal? And I was like, I didn't even notice what part of your body. Was it your hand, your wrist? Like, how did you even block it? Everybody keeps saying that. It didn't hurt. Like, surprisingly, I thought it was. Because we was, like, coming like, the preparation that whole week. We was like, oh, we're going to block a field goal. We know. Really? Okay. And, like, we didn't, like, I didn't get my hands on one in practice, and I never got my hand on the field goal. But I was like, the force of this ball, I wonder how it's going to feel. And, honestly, it just felt like I was playing volleyball. I just went out there and smacked <laughs> it down. But I also think it was, like, the adrenaline, too. So, like, I probably, probably didn't feel yeah. nothing. You didn't have any bruises or any pain afterwards? No, no? I was fine. When did you learn that that was a skill set that you had, that you were able to to jump up and block field goals like that? 
It probably started when I used to have to go practice with my sisters at volleyball practice. Really? Okay. So you would try to block their shots, or were you actually playing with them? I was actually playing with them. It was okay. fun, yeah. Okay. And what about just the first four games? Like, have you had your welcome to the NFL moment? You've played some pretty big names so far. Yeah, um, a few times. You know, it's a part of the game. You know, you get a shot here and there, you know, saying that somebody block you here and there. But, like, I feel like Coach D'Amico does a really good job with the intensity of practice, making sure that we're really prepared going into a game, knowing how fast we need to play, how physical we need to be. And then plus just being in Alabama, you know, practice was very physical there. So the transition from Alabama to the league, it's kind of just, it's been a, like an easy transition. You know what I'm saying? Like guys are way bigger, you know what I'm saying? But the physicality is always going to be the physicality. You know what I'm saying? So I just got to give a big shout out to the coaching staff and plus the players that we have here that just want to keep getting better. They want to have that intensity every day in practice, knowing that it's going to make us better on Sunday. Yeah, you were you were leader of the locker room at Alabama. You were captain. Now you're captain here. I wonder, is what is that like as a rookie when you're the team? I mean, obviously you and C.J. Stroud, yeah. but, you know, what is it like when you're a rookie, but you're a captain, you're a leader, but yet you're still kind of young? Yeah. You know, what is that dynamic like in the locker room? Man, it's 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 honestly great. You know what I'm saying? Like, of course, you're a little nervous sometimes because you got vets that's probably been in the league like 10 years, and then you have a rookie that haven't even played a snap of football yet, but yet he's a captain. But I think it's just about the preparation and how hard you work every day and when guys see that, when guys see a humble guy, a guy that works hard every day, a guy that doesn't complain, that's hungry, that, you know, wants it, you know, I think they just respect them, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's just that level of respect in the locker room, man. But I see it as like everybody being leaders, you know, that yeah, I got to see on my chest, but everybody leads in a different way and everybody does a good job of, you know, making sure that everybody's doing what they need to do, like holding each other accountable. Um, one thing, like I said today, was like a match me thing. It's the same thing that we used to say at Alabama and like, We've been doing a really good job of just matching each other's energy mm. out on the field. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody yeah, being on top that. of everything. So it's been fun to watch and fun to be a part of. One of the first things I learned about you was that your nickname was the Terminator and that you just have this like transformation when you're on the field. And like sitting here talking to you, you're just like so chill. We're just talking about thrift <laughs> store shopping and like all this fun stuff. But when does that transformation take place for you? Because I heard you are relentless on yeah. the field. In fact, D'Amico Ryan's during OTA said we almost have to hold Will back like he's so intense but for you personally when does it when do you go from this Will to that Terminator is it like what part of game day gets you into that mindset really just as soon as it's like that helmet and shoulder pads get on even when I walk in the door it's just a switch that goes like it's business time you know what I'm saying everything that you've put in through the whole week leading up into this moment like it's time to go put it on display and go you know go out there and play ball go out there and and, you know, do your job for your, not only yourself, but for your teammates and for this whole team. So that's just kind of the, the switch that gets flipped. I got to go out there and do a job, not only for me, not only for what I got going on, but for the dude beside me because he's counting on me to do my job. And I'm not going to go out here and, you know, not do my job. You know what I'm saying? So that's all the things that go through my head. Like, yeah, I got to go ball for this dude right here because I know he's going to give me everything he got. And that's that switch that flips for me. So have you ever met the real Terminator? Have you ever met Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, I haven't. You haven't? Okay. But you're, you've got his nickname and you got a chain. Uh, one cele- <laughs> I feel like that has to happen. One celebrity that you have met, and I was super jealous this offseason. You know who I'm going to say? You're laughing. Who, who do you think I'm going to say? Adele? Yes. <laughs> All right. She's seen, I felt like, I don't know who's the, I don't know if you're the bigger Adele fan or she's the bigger Willie Anderson fan. It seemed like she was uh, like a really a big fan of yours at the Lakers game. Can, what happened? How did you guys meet? I mean, she was just so down to earth. Just great spirits, great energy. She's just an awesome human being. Like, it's, you know, like usually like, oh, well, we don't know celebrities, but she was very welcoming. 
She just had the biggest did smile. Did she come on her up face. to you or no, did I went you go up to her? her. I went okay, over to you her. went up to her. Yes. And you are a big Adele fan? A little bit, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. I and know you a lot of her songs. Yeah, of course. Okay. And um I, I set the scene. I have to know how this happened. I saw okay, for her. so what happened? You're at the Lakers <laughs> game, you guys are courtside. Yes, and I was with the people from my agency and we walked over there so they can let me meet Adele. And I went over there to meet her and like we just start talking, you know, we were just getting to know each other, whatever like that. And What I did you guys talk about? We were just talking about like life and stuff like okay, that. I have like to know nothing every like, detail. like okay, nothing too crazy. Just like, hey, I'm Will. I play for, you know, the Texans and everything like that. And the reason why she was smiling that hard in the picture actually is because I was sing I had right right before that, I had sung like two songs of hers. To her? her? Yes, to her. What did you sing? Uh I sung <laughs> I, I sung Rolling in the Deep. And then I had a song uh My Little Love on her new album that she just dropped. And like it just cracked her. Well, you up. know what I'm going to ask now. <laughs> you can you you've got to sing one of those. I want to know what made her smile so big because I'm obsessed with Adele. <laughs> Will's like, I did not know this is where this was going. Just a little bit, like a half. I won't look at you if that makes you less nervous. Uh, okay. Um, rolling in the deep. Okay, that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just so tickled. Oh, that's fantastic. I was so jealous of you, but so happy for you. I've, I've seen Thank her in concert. You. She's amazing. Another guy that you met, J.J. Watt, this past mm -hmm. week. So yeah. what was that like? Were you starstruck? Was it, what was, what was it like just meeting him for the first time? Well, that wasn't my first time meeting him. It wasn't? I, yeah, he's been, I met J.J. a couple of months back when he you was did. here. Oh, okay. And we exchanged. Well, Burke sent me his information. Matt Burke, defensive yep. coordinator. Uh -huh. Yes. And um, man, like he's been a great mentor for me. And whatever I need, like I sent him clips of film, anything like that, he always helps me with. So just having a guy like J.J. Watt, man, it's like I don't take that for granted at all. It just goes back to show you, like, how these people are just so down to earth and willing to help. I'm just so appreciative because he could be doing anything. Like, he's retired. He could be doing anything he wants right now. But, like, he's spending time talking with me, helping me, and everything like that. And, like, he came to talk to the team before we had played the Steelers. Right. And one thing I really just took away from that was, like, don't take this moment for granted. And, like, God has put so many, like, great blessings in my life and great people in my life and surrounded me by great men and women in my life. And to have somebody like J.J., man, it's just been such a blessing because he's a awesome person. And I just can't thank him enough for everything that he's done for me so far. I mean, it just seems like yesterday that he was starting out in the league. I mean, when I started here, he was so young in his career. And to see him going up in the ring of honor, uh, it's just crazy. But he said that he asked you if you had any questions for him. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have any questions for At him. Time, so yes. do you have you come up with your questions? Do you know what you want to ask him? Or do you feel like you'll just do, go play by play? No, I've been asking him questions. You I've have been, been. Yeah, we've been okay. texting. And I've been asking him questions about everything. So we good. We we good now. We're good. Okay. We're good now. Um, and then what about Sunday? You guys are playing the Falcons. Are mm -hmm. you playing some really good rookies this year yeah. so far? And you got B. John Robinson coming yes. up. I know you guys probably hung out a little bit probably throughout the draft process, but what's going to be the big challenge here? You guys got a two-game win streak. You want to obviously keep that rolling. You know, what are the challenges for Sunday's game? Honestly, the challenge is for us is just stay consistent, and it's all about us at the end of the day and what we do. You know what I'm saying? If we just go out there and we do our job and we have great preparation throughout the week, then we, we can have the same results on Sunday. So I think it just falls back on everybody just playing their technique, playing the defense, playing the offense, and going out there executing what the coaches ask us to do. All right. Can't wait to see it. Well, thank you so much. And would you mind signing our wall? Of course. Yes. Thank right. you for having me. Yes, absolutely. There's a Sharpie.
Just sign. You can sign next to Tank or anywhere else. Awesome. Thank you so much, Will. Thank you. I appreciate Best you guys. Best of luck rest of the season. Thank you. Man, I love that guy. I can't believe he's a Houston Texan. So glad. And D.P. Sidhu, getting him to sing Adele. I mean, D.P.'s tremendous. But to get him to sing Adele... Oh, DP's the absolute best. All right, we get back. Let's get the injury report. Let's go around the NFL quickly next on Texans All Access. Yes, sir. It's Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. You had to check the clock to see what day it is. Man, the days are flying by. and It tends to happen when you got a football team playing well and you're feeling the momentum and you're getting ready for Wednesday. But I appreciate you being here with me on Texans All Access. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and host of this great program right here on Sports Radio 610, Odyssey app. I appreciate you being you guys being here uh, with me. All right, injury report. It's kind of lengthy today, but there is some pretty good news because there's some names on here that I know I was excited to see back on this list. DMPs, uh, not always excited. Now, two of the three were, were rest-related. Jimmy Ward, Robert uh, Woods, they got vet days. Malik Collins did not participate. He's dealing with an abdomen issue, so... Hopefully, he's going to be okay. Um, limited participants. Josh Jones was in a limited capacity, so that was good. We saw him in practice. He's got a cast on that hand. Shaq Mason, deal an ankle. Steven Nelson was a limited veteran rest day. And by the way, if you want to check out my uh, quick tell story, go check out my Twitter page, X page, whatever you call it, at J. Harris Football. And I did a quick, quick and dirty tell straighter showing you how great of a play that was by Steven Nelson on Sunday against the Steelers. Jeremy, uh, Damian Pierce... And Laramie Tunsil were both with knees. But it was good to see Laramie back at practice today, obviously. So hopefully we're moving towards a situation where they're going to be ready to play. Full participants. Michael Dieter back dealing with the chest. But how about this? Titus Howard back full. Cameron Johnston back full. Denzel Perryman back in full. Tavier Thomas back in full. Man. That's that was just that was the best news from the day to see Titus Cam off of IR ready to go hopefully for this week. Now it doesn't mean that just because they're fully participating doesn't mean they're going to play. I would imagine with Cam he's ready to go because they released uh, Ty Zentner. Um, but we'll see on the others. Tab also had a cast on similar to Josh Jones, so we've had a lot of hand injuries, and hopefully um, these guys can get back healthy and play the way that they are used to playing and we're playing obviously before the injury. So injury report, eh, not the, not the, the best yet, but man, compared to what it has been lately. Oh gosh. I will absolutely take it. Uh, around the NFL, a start in Atlanta, obviously the team of Texans are going to play. Arthur Smith this week said, nope, doesn't matter. our quarterback. You'll see him on Sunday against the Texans. So on the road, Desmond Ritter's struggled. Offense has struggled. They scored a total of 13 points on the road. They scored six in Detroit. They scored seven uh, against the Jaguars in London. At home, though, they scored 25 and 24. So they're averaging 24 and a half points a game at home. So a little different. Playing them in their building is where they're accustomed to playing. So that's pretty much the biggest nugget from around the NFL uh, on this week. All right, we get back. Let's talk to... Let's talk to West Durham. And by talk to West Durham, I mean Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans, talking to the voice of the Falcons. Mark and Wes, men behind the mics is next right here on Texans All Access.
We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on Texans All Access on Sports Radio 610, the Odyssey app. If you're listening on the pod, thank you. Thank you for being here because then it's timeless and you don't have to worry about what time it is. I do. I have to kind of worry about the time, but that's okay because we got some great stuff coming up for you in this second hour. We'll have our In the Lab podcast with Drew Doherty. We had a lot to talk about, and Drew calls me out for something that my former players ratted me out when we were in Jacksonville. I don't think I did this, but apparently I did, and I had to explain why. Um, So that's a little later, and we've also got a little Texans OG podcast, and this week we're kind of going back a little bit. Andy Kalu had a chance to catch up with Wade Smith uh, and talk about some of the things that Wade did in his career and his time spent in Houston uh, so that'll be a little later in the show. But right now, we got to catch up with the men behind the mics. The two men that'll be calling this game for each respective organization, obviously. You know Mark Vandermeer. I said it the other night. He's the greatest ambassador of this organization that I've ever seen or been around. And Wes Durham of the Atlanta Falcons has been calling the games there for a while. Son of the famous Woody Durham, who was a longtime play-by-play voice legend of the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. So West Durham, the Atlanta Falcons, sits down with Mark. Call men behind the mics. Let's go. All right, joining us now, Texans Radio. It's West Durham, the legendary voice. Can I call you that, West? The legendary no. voice of the Atlanta Falcons. No, no? you cannot Not because yet. you're older than me and uh, you've been at it longer <laughs> than me in the NFL. But you did do the cane, so you know you mm. can say if you need to. There you go. Right. Yeah, and that's an ACC team, and I know you're big on the ACC. (laughs) We can get into all that, but let's talk Falcons here because, obviously, good start, and the last couple of games, not so good. What went well in the first two that's not going well lately, Wes? What can you tell us? Well, I feel like talking to your audience, I ought to say Bajon Robinson and Bajon Robinson went well Mm -hmm. in weeks one and two, and then Bajon Robinson went well in week four when they didn't play very well. Um, I think that this is a team that is ascending, Mark, But I also was one of those guys that felt like, you know what, if they get off to a relatively good start, they've got a chance. But it's still a long road in the NFL, right? There were going to be bumps. Atlanta's not a complete team by a long shot, but they've got a lot more pieces than they had a year ago and significantly more pieces than they had two years ago. Uh, For me, the inability to make plays offensively right now has been the real crux of the issue the last two weeks. And it's you know, and as we all know, in these discussions, it falls on the quarterback 99% of the time. The reality of it is, sure, Desmond Ritter's not played as well as he would like in the last two games, but the offensive line hasn't helped him. Um, you know, there are other things that have contributed to that. Uh, you got guys who are kind of working their way back into the lineup. You've got a veteran guy at left tackle, Jake Matthews, who starts his 147th game on, uh, on Sunday. I mean, he's just an institution at left tackle. Uh, but you've got a rookie right beside him at left guard, Matt Bergeron, who they're excited about, but who is obviously still getting kind of acclimated to what Sundays are like as opposed to Saturdays. And then the right side, Lindstrom and McGarry, the guard and tackle on the right side, have been pretty good. They've not been great yet. And Dahlman, the center, feels like a guy that who's won the job and now has got to get better. So to tell you the offensive line has been superior would be a vast overstatement. They've been okay. Ritter has made some good throws. He's made some good decisions. He's also made some head-scratching throws. And that is exactly what I expected after eight career starts for Desmond Ritter. Um, And that's kind of where we are. Defensively, they are much improved. Um, 
Anya Mata has added a lot to the defensive line. He's helped Grady Jarrett immeasurably. Calais Campbell has come in here and been a terrific presence. Mm. Jesse Bates has three interceptions. In my opinion, he was the most important sign Atlanta made in the offseason. You had to solidify your back end. It had been chaos back there for about three or four years, and they did with Jesse Bates. And you've got some good players at linebacker. You lost one two weeks ago in Troy Anderson, who you were really counting on. And now you turn to a guy who was on and off your practice squad and on and off your active roster, Nate Landman, to kind of take that spot. So, you know, that's that's been the that's been the worst injury so far in the first four weeks that Atlanta's had to overcome. Wes Durham joining us, voice of the Atlanta Falcons. What about Bijan Robinson? What can you tell us of what you've seen so far? We see the numbers. What are you seeing in the player as you observe him up close? Well, he's he's delivered everything, Mark. Um, you take the guy at eight, and everybody here is kind of like, well, didn't you want Jalen Carter who played at Georgia? No, you needed this. This is a showstopper. Um, I mean, he not only – if you make a play for him, the play will happen. But if you don't make the play, the play's still got a chance to happen because of how good he is. And I, I feel like I'm you know, preaching to the choir a little bit to people in Texas who saw him play in Austin and go, well, yeah, that's who he was in Austin. Well, this is who he's become at the, in the, at the NFL level. I mean, he made Frankie Louvu, the linebacker of the Panthers, look like he was playing Pop Warner ball on opening week. I mean, mm. and then he got Darnell Savage, the safety from Green Bay, and then last week he – you know, he, he juked another guy from, uh, from Jacksonville. So look, I, he's look, he's leading them in rushing. He's leading them in receiving. I mean, he's doing everything. Um, he's touched it a lot more than I thought he would. And I will say that their best package when they, when they can get them both on the field is this sledgehammer Tyler Algier, who set a rookie rushing record a year ago, uh, of William Andrews. And they put Algier and Robinson on the field together, Mark, at the same time. They're as good offensively as they've been in Arthur Smith's time here. Um, but they haven't been able to do that very much the last couple of weeks because they've been facing deficits. And I think Sunday, regardless if they're playing the Texans or they were playing anybody else, they've got to start well Sunday. They, the fact that they have uh, only scored one touchdown in the last two games and, and quite frankly, haven't been very good in the first 15 minutes is, is overbearing at this point to this team. Wes, are you surprised that Johnu Smith has more catches than Kyle Pitts at this point? We know that Smith is good. We've seen him before, Tennessee, sure. for example. Yeah. But what about Pitts? What can you tell me about those two tight ends and especially Pitts? I think the clarity on Kyle Pitts, Mark, is, is that he's still coming back from what ended up being a far more significant knee injury last year than anybody ever realized. Uh, Kyle has made some plays. He's made a terrific play in the Green Bay game to set up a winning score, made a terrific play in the Carolina play, in the Carolina game in week one. Uh, but to ask him to be what we all thought he was going to be three years ago when he came out of Florida and was picked so high at three, maybe stretching it. Um, where his health is, I think, is something now that's that's coming out. Is it coming out because he's not making plays? I think that's part of it. I think it's also coming out because, you know, he's getting his confidence back. Now, they never said it was an ACL but it must have been somewhere in the close of an ACL range for him to miss the back end of the schedule. And then he was, uh, you know, to, to use the baseball term, he was on a pitch count through training camp. Mm -hmm. And I think they wanted to make sure, and I think he needs to be confident. And I think he's getting there. Um, you know, does he have a breakout game on Sunday? I'm always ready for it because I think he's the kind of guy who can change a game. He is a red zone nightmare. And when you take London and you take Mac Collins and now Bajan Robinson involved in it, Mark, 
Atlanta's got a tremendous amount of weaponry around Desmond Ritter that I think he's once he gets over the barrier in confidence and cutting it loose, I, I think that's where Atlanta maybe has the chance to take off. Whether that's Sunday or not, I don't know. I think it's a it's a tall task against uh against fifty one in that white jersey on Sunday because fifty one is a playmaker too. He's as he's as electric on defense as anybody I've seen in a long time come out of the college game. Wes Durham joining us, voice of the Falcons. All right, we've seen Arthur Smith put together some great game yeah. plans in Tennessee over the years, up close and personal, and some of them with the odds against them, and they come out with a victory somehow, some way. They raved about him for years as he worked his way up through the organization. What can you mm-hmm. tell me about what it's like to work around Arthur Smith? He's one of the brightest people I've ever been around, period, in terms of just his acumen as a human being. But his football recall and his football savvy in terms of building game plans is really pretty impressive. Um, he and I have had limited conversations. Of course, he got the job in the pandemic. And, you know, we kind of were integrating back into, you know, working together on some things. And mm-hmm. in the role I have, he and I have brief conversations practically every week. But they're not very long. But yet I always get something out of him from what he's thinking about the ball game. And and he'll tell you a lot in press conferences. You'll notice that going through the weekend in preparation for this. He is a guy who uh, talks honestly and candidly about his football team at times and talks about the competitive nature of his team. I think the one thing I do know that he likes about this team is the competitive depth they've been able to to bring to the table now in year three of his administration with GM Terry Fontenot. And I think it's pretty important. I think it's one of those things that, in all honesty, Mark, has kind of grown this team in the face of a pair of uh, seven and ten campaigns, if you will. Um, they mm-hmm. tend to play close games. You won't be surprised by that because that's what they did in Nashville when he was running the mm-hmm. offense there. They want to run it before they throw it. Nobody's surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the multiple tight ends will be the least biggest upset for you guys. I mean, you're going to see two. Sometimes you'll see three. Um, and and he is going to play percentage football most of the time. Now, he's gotten a little more aggressive. They've gotten the ball more vertical at times. But that's something that in this transition to Ritter as a full-time starter, not just the guy who was given the last four games last year to kind of find out, uh, I I think it's one of the growing pains that this football team's enduring right now. But I will say this, he's also brought some really good coaches here. Jerry Gray and Ryan Nielsen have done a terrific job with fortifying the defense. And I think maybe the most important thing is Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot had a vision, a collaborative vision when they got here. And now in year three, you can start to see the building of that with the football team as a whole. All right, Wes, let's talk about the ACC a little bit. I want to shift gears here because this is so much in your DNA. You do so much ACC broadcasting. We know your father was the legendary announcer at North Carolina. I can call him a legend, but tell me about the level of surprise you have as to what's going on right now in college athletics the portal, the conference realignment, <laughs> NIL, how it's all evolving, changing, and where does the ACC go from here? You know, Mark, I, I wish I could give you any kind of clarity on college athletics. <laughs> um, all of this changed uh, during the pandemic. Uh, the, the portal thing was already occurring where student athletes could have, you know, freedom of movement, as I call it. We talked about freedom of movement in basketball a few years ago, and it was related to, you know, fouls being called. Well, freedom of movement in college athletics means you can sign up at one place in one fall and be at another place the next fall. And then uh, 
you know, I'm going to try to stay far off my soapbox here. The NCAA allowed name, image, and likeness to become a thing and allowed it to be measured by the states and not by Congress, right? And when that happened, that changed the dynamics of everything. Now, that's that's the big picture stuff. The ACC has been impacted by the fact that there's been this money grab in college athletics for conferences. It relates to television packages. And the ACC signed a grant of rights deal in 2016 that lasts 20 years. And it also included Notre Dame on what I call an IPO because they play five football games a year. And, and obviously, they participate in all the other sports, sans hockey. For me, the ACC is in, in good shape. It's not in great shape. Uh, the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference are the two war daddies, if you will, of college athletics because they've got, you know, nearly billion-dollar television rights fees out there. The Big 12 has made a lot of inroads, and I know folks in, in your part of the world follow the Big 12, and they should because I think Brett Yormark's done a really nice job. Their, their television contract's a lot shorter. But in the packaging, as we know, college athletics, I, I think we're standing on the uh, I think we're standing on the deck of and waiting to get on a boat of a new reality. Um, and if that reality is going to be dictated by the 12 team college football playoff, then so be it. But I think that the decisions that presidents and chancellors are going to have to make at a lot of these institutions and major college athletics are getting ready to be tricky ones because they're going to be decisions you have to make today, and you're going to have to have the foresight of the next 25 to 50 years, perhaps, in your pocket as well. On the field, Wes, who do you trust more? Miami, Florida State, North Carolina? <laughs> Where are we going in the ACC? Who's the best contender? You know, we've been waiting since you did the Canes a million years ago for Miami <laughs> and Florida State to play for an ACC championship, and it never happened, mm -hmm. right? Right. Uh, I mean, you remember that talk. It, oh, the reason they're adding Miami is because it's going to be Miami and Florida State every year, and they've never played for the ACC football title. And I was uh, when we got back from London yeah, early Monday morning. Yesterday I spent some time watching games, and it finally dawned on me looking at schedules and kind of comparing where teams are playing that we're going to see Miami and Florida State play in November in the regular season. It's going to be an unbelievable game because they're likely mm. both be undefeated. But then we have a chance three weeks later to see the same game. And wow. I think Miami and Florida State are the two best teams in the league right now. Carolina is close. Uh, I think even Clemson with two losses is still very dangerous, Mark. But on the whole, I would not be surprised at all if we have a one-loss Miami-Florida State game against an undefeated Miami or Florida State in December for the ACC title with the winner going to the Final Four. One more for you, Wes. Back okay. to the Falcons. Sure recovery from the London trip. How do you think it goes? These are young men. They should be able to respond. How are you feeling? How did it go other than the game itself? Uh, Injury-wise, I think they're okay, which is important, right? Uh, you mm -hmm. don't want to bring anybody back on that long a trip and then have them spend all week in rehab hoping that they might be able to pull the trigger on Sunday. For me, they had about as good a plan from a practice and, and reacclimation situation on the back end of this and I think, as you know, this has become a lot more now, hey, leave Thursday, come back after the game and play the next week and then push your bye as far into the season as you can get it. Atlanta, for the most part, knock on wood, was generally very healthy out of the ballgame Sunday. Um, I think Arthur Smith had been over there when well, he went his first year to play the Jets at Tottenham, and they did the Thursday-Sunday, and they, they came back okay. He felt really good when I saw him Saturday in the hotel about whether they won or lost the game, that they had a really good blueprint for what the back end would be. They know how important these next two home games are, Mark, because believe it or not, half their home games are going to be gone after Ooh. these next two weeks. 
They played two at home to start. They went to Detroit, London to play Jacksonville. Now they're back to play Houston and Washington, and they've only got four home games left the rest of the year. So mm-hmm. they've got to maximize home field because, in all honesty, this is a team that has now struggled on the road. Yesterday was uh, – or Sunday, rather, was their ninth road loss in their last ten games on the road. Mm-hmm. So they've got to they've got to find a way to kind of shake that a little bit um, if they're going to try and crack what is what – is, you know, we all were sleeping on the NFC South. I'll be the first to admit. I said one team, one team only out of the division. And all of a sudden, you know, Tampa, New Orleans, Atlanta have fired out of there. Everybody was two and one. And now the Buccaneers have, have kind of pushed it forward, believe it or not, with Baker Mayfield, kind of like they're drinking the Tom Brady juice down there again. So it's going to be interesting <laughs> to see what happens in this division, uh, bar none, of what happens on Sunday with the Texans here. Texans have four in a row against the NFC South right now. It's weird in the schedule, mm. but I'll have some notes after this stretch is over. Wes, yeah. thanks so much for the time. Great information. We appreciate it. Mark, anytime. Great to see you. Look forward to seeing you Sunday. It's so funny. When I moved to North Carolina back in 2001, after I left Jacksonville, and I would drive around, I would listen to North Carolina football or basketball, whatever it is, and I would hear Woody Durham's voice. And this happens for a lot of people. A lot of people, when my dad answers the phone, they think it's me. uh, Or when I answered, they thought it was my dad. We sound very, very similar. Woody Durham and Wes Durham sound 100% identical. It's amazing to listen to them. And you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like, hey, here's Woody, here's Wes. You wouldn't be able to know. Two tremendous broadcasters. And hopefully Wes on Sunday is announcing a loss for his Falcons. And Mark is announcing a win for the Texans. But Texans have struggled in Atlanta. I don't even want to get into the last time we were there. Hopefully 2023 is much different than 2015, if you know what I mean. And different from 2007. That was bad, too. So hopefully things will change on Sunday in Atlanta. Speaking of all of that, it's time for In the Lab next. Drew Doherty and I talk about our cream of the croppers from the win over the Steelers. We talk about this Falcons matchup. And Drew outs me for something I did as a coach because my former players outed me. That's next right here in Texans All Access. Yes, sir. Glad to be with you on this Wednesday evening. Hopefully you're staying dry and feeling good wherever you are because, well, you're a Texans fan, or at least I hope you are. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, for your Houston Texans, and I'm also one half of the in-lab crew, my man Drew Doherty will be with us in just a second. But uh, I'm a little mad at Drew, even though he is my in-the-lab partner, but he outed me uh, because my former players outed me for doing something he said and jokingly was bad sportsmanship. But I don't think I did this, but you have to hang around for that story a little bit later, but it's time for in-the-lab. I don't recall, and I'm sure it's happened. I'm certain it's, and I'm certain it's happened while I've been employed here, Mm -hmm. while you've been employed here, but I'm getting old (laughs) and it's been a rough four years. Yep. I do not remember a better back-to-back, more fulfilling, more dominating stretch of football, more fun stretch of football than what we just saw. It's recency bias, I know, but you factor in the J.J. Watt homecoming stuff, Ring of Honor induction and the good feelings that happened there and playing a marquee franchise the week after, playing one of your rivals that you've dominated for the last 15 years or so. I don't recall feeling happier, and I want to get your thought on that, but first, a very quick table of contents for this in the lab today. You and I are going to recall the good feelings. We're going to have a cream of the cropper for this last week. We're going to have a 
Texan under the radar to watch at Atlanta. We have to also tell a story about when you implored high school players to act disrespectful and have poor sportsmanship. And that's a fantastic (laughs) story. I can't (laughs) wait to tell this one. And then after that, I had a chance to get some off the field stuff from Nico Collins. That was a lot of fun. It was prior to his eruption in this last game. And it's the second eruption of 2023. And this guy's not far off from already equaling and, and bettering his career best in a lot of different numbers, but back to the good feelings. Do you recall a more dominant two game stretch for the Texans back to back? Like, like we just witnessed. No, not start not to finish. Now, just beat these guys up. The last time the Texans won back to back games was in 2021. They went to Jacksonville and in the rain beat oh, yeah. Jacksonville. That uh-huh. was good. And then it came back home and had probably the best game of the year. I don't know if I would say it was dominant against the LA Chargers, but that was the last time they had won back to back games. Those were fun. Yes. Those were fun. During lost seasons. You know, there's yeah, still a lot of hope for this season. During lost seasons. I mean, even in a nine game winning streak in 2018. Like each game was just nail biters, nail nail biting. Yeah. Uh, the one night that I felt like wow, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. we're pretty good was Thursday night in 2018. Unfortunately, in Lost the fourth Will quarter, Fuller. Will Fuller went down with a torn ACL, and that's when it kind of took the good feelings out. But I remember that night thinking, okay, wow. Uh, for a long time in that game, I'm thinking we're pretty darn good. We're we're on a roll. I think it was four or five in a row at that point. It was a Thursday night. We're getting the 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 mini buy, and I just remember thinking, and then kind of getting the news in the locker room that Will was gut punch, man. Yeah, that was gut that, punch. Yeah, that was a tough one. And even though DT Marius Thomas joined us, it just it wasn't the same. And then DT went down to the Philadelphia game, so it was definitely not the same going forward. But from beginning to end, two games in a row, all three phases, exciting football to watch. That was that's the epitome of it. Those those two games back to back, beating the Jags in Jacksonville and then beating the Steelers here. And I mean, this I mean, Drew, if you look at the score, you look at the numbers, and you look at the film, all three of them tell the same story. Mm-hmm. And that is the Texans dominated from play one to the end of the game. And it was really impressive to watch. So many things to pinpoint. I want to get your cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. Thank you, Macho Man Randy Savage. Rest in peace, Macho Man. All right. I, I got a chance. After you tell your bad sportsmanship story when you were a poor sport, <laughs> I'm going to tell a little Randy Macho Man Savage story. But cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. Who is your Houston Texans cream of the cropper from this Sunday? You know what? I'm going to go with uh, Nico Collins. Love it. I mean, I hate to do it, but... Why do you hate to do it? I, it's not that I hate to do you it. You don't I just, hate to do it. We'd I mean, love I mean, to I do feel, it. I don't want to say it's obvious, but, I mean, Nico is seven catches. Occam's razor, baby. Sometimes the most obvious choice is the best one. I mean, Nico's day, he tied his career high interceptions seven in a game. He broke his career record, which was a couple weeks ago, with 168 yards in a game, and he set a new record for his single-game touchdowns with two. So he was high marks in, in all three categories. But I'm going to say this. I mean, everybody saw the catches and all that. What I think mm-hmm. a lot of people missed were those three wide receivers, even even Tank. And I should say four wide receivers uh, because John Mechie as well. Um, and I probably put Mech in front of um, Tank on this one. The run blocking from those wide receivers was yeah. incredible. Mech just clamping up T.J. Watt. Incredible. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. I mean, Nico 
Nico had Marcus Golden so ticked off at him. He was like swinging at him on the Texas sideline. And Nico was just laughing at him, you know, because Nico's 6'4, <laughs> 215 holding his own. Yeah. Um, but I- I'll say this, you know, Robert Woods didn't have a ton of catches in this game. He had a couple of key third down ones, of course. That's just Robert Woods. But I was listening to a podcast this past summer. Um, I don't remember. I think it was called The Playmakers. It mm-hmm. was Jordan Rodriguez from The Athletic. And she talked about four coaches, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Matt LaFleur, and who am I missing in that in that group? Shanahan? Uh, uh, yeah. Kyle, well, yeah, Kyle Shanahan. That was kind of the impetus of it. So yeah. she when she got to the chapter about McVay, I thought it was interesting because McVay came from Washington. He had been under Kyle. They had been a lot of, you know, a lot of 11 personnel team, you know, one, one back, one tight end. That was that. Then he went to the Rams thinking that's what he was going to do. He got to the Rams and he's got Cooper cup and Robert Woods. And he realized that they could be a 12 personnel team, basically with those two on the field, because Mm -hmm. they were such good run blockers. And he said, Robert Woods blocking in particular in the run game changed his entire thought about what he thought the team was going to be and what it actually turned into. And it turned into basically 11 and a half personnel because Cooper Cup and Robert Woods were so darn good, in particular Woods in the in the run blocking game, and so he's great. Uh, and Nico and and Mechie were fantastic. And, t- and listen, Tank is five eight, one hundred sixty five pounds, soaking wet, and he'll throw his body in there to make some blocks. Yeah. So that I would throw on top of the fact that Nico was just fantastic in the receiving game. I mean, his route running was great. He beat Steeler DBs like they were just standing still a couple of times on the touchdown yep. going into the north end on the slant. He just shook that DB and then. He just went right by Patrick Peterson, stacked him, ran the corner out on the final touchdown. So he was he was a route running beast as much as he was a blocker, as much as he was anything. So I'm gonna give him credit for all facets um, as a cream of the cropper. How about you? I love it. Uh, and as an addendum to yours, I'm gonna say Robert Woods. He's gonna get his. He's gonna have oh, yeah, a few yeah, hundred yard games. Oh yeah, yeah. Nico's had a couple. Dell's had one. That's I think it's just the way CJ spreads the ball. Right. We're gonna see this from Dalton Schultz. Yep. Dalton's just Dalton's playing fine. I think he just. These receivers, they're getting the lion's share of these catches and chewing up yardage and chunking up yardage. Yep. So uh, that's that's what I'm going to go with. I'll go on defense. Steven Nelson's my cream of the cropper. The cream of the crop. I think the the lone win of the day for Pittsburgh was they won the coin toss. And they, did, they yeah. win the coin toss. And Kenny Pickett, they're like, you want to, what, what do you want to do? And he kind of like smiles, or at least I'm remembering it this way. He might have just, I might be like, embellishing but yeah he kind of did defer like we got all these Steelers fans in the building we're gonna put them on offense first we're gonna get loud and then we're gonna get the ball well Texans receive that kickoff chop 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 they go score four times three times on the first drive only one of them counts and then Steven Nelson ends the Steelers first drive with an interception a really nice diving acrobatic play had a great return afterwards. He said, hey, uh, if you want to know about my return skills, go ask Frank Ross. He's like, <laughs> I still got a record from high school yeah. in Georgia. Steven, Steven Nelson's been outstanding. He was good. He was really, really good last year in yep. a, another, I'd say, lost season. Another lost season. He was really, really good. That was a not, not a lost season because of Steven Nelson. And I think he's raised the bar in 2022. He's a captain. He has played phenomenally. I loved what he did the other day. When teams do go at him, it usually doesn't go well. He usually is batting it down or the receiver's not getting much yardage. Or as we saw yesterday, that was the second pick of the year for Steven Nelson. He had one in the first game against the Ravens, got the one yesterday, and it was massive. Helped set the tone. 
And it's fun when you're up double digits, like the Texans quickly were after that. They get a, a field goal from Kaimi Fairburn. Tough for other teams to to do what they want to do when they're already down 10 nothing early in the game. What I love about a veteran, and Steven talked about this a little bit after the game, but I, I mentioned it during the game, you know, film study. Yeah. And that was and D'Amico talked about that with you guys. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And about and Nelson's film. That that particular play was the exact same play that the Steelers had run the week before and beat the Raiders with a 72-yard touchdown. So when they came out in that formation on second 18, because just the play prior, Jerry Hughes had a uh, sack for eight-yard loss, so second 18. And so when they come out, it's the personnel, it's the formation. Steven Nelson knew, like, oh, I know what they're doing. They're running this deep post route, and Nelson got on top of it. That's a really hard thing to do for a corner. They basically scored on that against the Raiders. The, they, the they same type of play, yeah. Seventy-two yards in the, the week exact before. Same play, yeah, uh, the week before, and so they they dialed it up again. Uh, second eighteen was kind of a weird time to do it, but they did it. Steven recognized everything about it. Got on top of the the post route. He stayed deep. He knew it was coming. He knew Pickett was going to take a shot, and he took that shot, and he went up and got I me. Mean, it was. For all the great catches on Sunday by our offensive guys, hell of a catch. that might have been the best catch of the day yeah. right there on either side, the one Steven Nelson made. Degree of pick. difficulty, that one. And then, uh, you know who has a – you know who topped him? Unfortunately, it didn't count. Shaq Griffin had an interception yeah, right. late, but I guess he had pushed yeah. a little bit and yeah. got called for a P.I., but I, about that. I love Shaq Griffin's uh, pick that should have been. Anyways, yeah. those are great ones. Okay, Falcons coming home from London. Chose not to take the bye. I think you do have a choice in this. I know do. the uh, the schedule makers set the schedule, but I think when you play internationally, you can choose to take a bye the week after, and they apparently thought they're taking a bye against the Texans. I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think you think that's going to be, be the case. Let's see how it turns out on Sunday. But under the radar guy, who are you keeping your eyes on, John? A guy that should be getting a whole lot more credit than he's gotten. And I thought he played fantastic, and I actually said it to Mark. Um, not on the air. We were talking about it. I said, man, you know who played really well the other day? And then in the press conference, D'Amico Ryans brought him up, um, I think, unprompted. Sheldon Rankins. Mm. Now, if you go look. Well, Defensive the, tackle. The numbers for, for number 98, are they're, they're not high. You know, he doesn't have a bunch of sacks in the TF. That's defensive tackles, man. Sheldon Rankins is doing work. Yeah. And the one thing that D'Amico said was exactly one of the reasons why. And I think when you have defensive linemen that can run and you're not a tremendous tackling team yet, you need everybody hustling all the time, 100%. And Rankins did that on a third, I think it was a third and 14 play. Threw the ball, I think, to Jalen Warren maybe. I think it was Warren. And he made the first guy miss. But Rankins, after his rush, just turned around and sprinted. And after Warren made that guy miss, it slowed him down. And Rankins was going full speed, blasting him, kept him short of a, of a fourth of a uh, first down conversion. But it, and it's that he had another one like that a little bit later. He's just he's getting more penetration. Um, he is really the perfect complement over to Malik Collins. I think they play off one another really, really well. Sheldon Rankins is my my under the radar guy. And this week it becomes that much more important for those defensive linemen to be pursuing a hundred percent because you got B. John Robinson run the football. Yeah. He's going to make the first guy miss. It's going to happen. So when he makes that first guy miss and you know, he darts outside and comes back inside. If those defensive linemen are flying from the inside, they get a good shot possibility of knocking the ball out. And I think Sheldon Rankins, you know, have that opportunity to look, it's a good off. It's a good Atlanta offensive line. They've got a lot of good talent. Um, Chris Lindstrom is one of the best guards in the, 
in the NFL, if not the best guard. He just got paid like it. Jake Matthews, the left tackle. But Gary had a much better year last year. You can get after him a little bit. And that's why I think Sheldon Rankin has got to play a big role in this one on Sunday. How about you? Henry Toto. Mm. Bijan well, Robinson. Going defense. Yeah. Right. Well, Bijan Robinson, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I saw his numbers from Sunday. He probably didn't get the ball enough. No. Uh, They're not getting, they, I mean, they have so many weapons they're probably not using it enough. Um, and that's why the offense becomes big to keep the ball over there. But yeah, Toto is a good one. Yeah. Fifth round linebacker. And he's basically the, I mean, he's not, he doesn't have a captain C on his chest, but he's running the defense. Yep. Four games, three games in really it was because he was the starter out there at Jacksonville. Yep. It's saying a lot. That's that. And he's going to get called upon linebacking crew. Like you, the front seven, they've got their hands full with Bijan Robinson. Hell, the whole defense does with Bijan Robinson and all those weapons, like you mentioned, but I'm going to go with Toa Toa. Uh, that's my guy. Okay. Hey, two weeks ago, we went to Jacksonville, and the mm-hmm. night before the game, you had coached in Jacksonville. Anyone that listens to this show knows that you have a history in that town, Yep. and we get to the place where we're eating, and there's three dudes there with their families. They're you know, in their early 40s, late 30s. I say, hey, did you guys all coach together? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I coached these guys. And so <laughs> heard some fun stories yep. from 20-some years ago. And John... You were a poor sport. You <laughs> poor you were, sport. You were a all dirty coach, and you encouraged taunting. You encouraged poor sportsmanship, and you had youth of America going into okay. a hostile environment and risking their their themselves. What happened? Tell us this. Okay, scoundrel. Now I didn't remember this story this way, but allegedly, so this was 1998. It's my first year as a varsity head coach, and we, um. 1998 was a great year. It was a great year, 25 years ago. Um, you know, we didn't have, it was, I mean, shoot, I was 26 at the time. We're just trying to get the program up and kind of really going. And I had been there and I coached all these kids as junior high kids. And we started kind of winning a few games and I left for a couple of years. I came back and now they're juniors, sophomores, juniors, seniors. And so we go and we play and it's that private school um, called Episcopal, which is very similar to the Episcopal here in Houston. Okay. And, we go to play in a place called Brantford, Florida. And I didn't set the schedule for this year. This was set by the previous head coach. So we're going to Brantford, Florida. Now, um, if you went to Brantford, Florida, it's kind of like a rural school. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then some, mm-hmm. so I'm bringing rich private school kids to Brantford, Florida and, you know, kind of rural public school. One of those places where, on Friday night, that's you just went to the football game. This is what you did. Sure. And this place is packed. It's homecoming Ooh. for them. And we sort of unleashed uh, our passing game on them in that in that particular game. Now, my players remembered it as <laughs> they. Yeah, I didn't story. hear anything about your passing. Yeah, game. yeah, yeah. Our I heard what happened before that. the game. Yeah, Kyle Hicks threw four touchdowns. Andy Kidd, who was at dinner, he had a couple touchdowns, running touchdown. Brantford was angry with us, but. They might have been angry for a different reason. Now, I don't remember it this way, but apparently my players, all three of them confirmed that I, I told them to do this. When they went on the field that I told them to go jump on the logo right, and get fired up. And part of the reason, if and, I did, and with if their, I did with, do it. With their helmets off yeah. in the air, yeah. now, jumping up I, and down. If I did do that. As a team. That was kind of what I was going for. I was going for them to have a little Disrespect. bit of emotion, you know, have a little bit of, you know, juice. And then apparently I told him to do it at halftime. Too. Yeah, you doubled down on it. We already had like twenty-eight to seven. They said you guys, they, they, the opposing team had a furious comeback, but you held them off yeah. and you win. 
Yeah, we my best player was was Andy Kidd, and so after we had taken a lead, he broke his finger, so he had to leave the game. So the fourth quarter, they start coming back, Uh-oh. and then we we launched a go route to uh, to Doug Vandermalle, never forget it, and he caught it, went in the end zone. We ended up winning like 34, 24, something like that. And it was not easy to get out of there that night. I don't know if <laughs> I was jumping on the logo. I, I didn't remember doing that because I'm not a big fan of it. But uh, I might I might have been that night just kind of feeling my oats, like let's, motivating let's your team a little bit. Let's show them who we are. And of course, they go to the logo and jump on it. And the way I remember it was they went and jumped on the logo. And I remember my coach going, did you tell them to do that? And I'm like, I don't think so. But maybe I did. <laughs> so that's the way I remember it. But either way, it worked out. I, I don't know. I didn't think it was bad sportsmanship. They play with the most fire and energy. So I don't know. Got them going. Got the win. You know, it's kind of what the Titans do. They go jump on logos and and try and win games. The yeah. last time they did it here in Houston, they got beat 57-17 in 2017. So I don't know. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But that's the way my players remember it. And all three of them had the same exact yeah. memory of it. So I must have done it. So this is not yeah. made up. I I witnessed this yeah. story being told. Yeah, exactly. And they uh, were like, no, no, you told us. I'm like, all right, I guess I did. Dang it. Well, at times, a guy who was also a poor sport was Randy Macho Man Savage. <laughs> and when I say poor sport, one time he took a bell and crushed Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's throat with it. So yep. not nice. Not nice. I got a chance to have, I booked him. I used to be a producer for a TV show in Dallas. Yeah. And this was 2001 when I did this, but I booked him and he came on a TV show and he was awesome. He was everything you could think he would be. And I was, I got a chance to spend about 15, 20 minutes with him before the show in the green room, just chit-chatting with him, trying to make him feel comfortable. And yeah, yeah. he was, uh, he was great. He's telling stories he's like, I used to play minor league baseball in the Cardinals organization. He yeah. did. But he was awesome. And he got a cool picture. I put it up. I put it up whenever I can. I'll try probably put it up in conjunction with this yes, podcast. Absolutely. If I had to tell my story, you've got to put that picture up. There's really not a wild story. He had just filmed Spider-Man and he was in the, the original. Well, I don't know if it's the original, but the one from 2001 with to Toby Maguire. With Toby Maguire. And he, yeah. he played a character. He's like, I was Bonesaw McGraw swinging from the chandeliers with Kirsten Dunst. That's my yeah. poor Macho Man impersonation. It's pretty good. Now I got a cough. It's pretty but good. um, yeah, love. Rest in peace, Macho Man. So because of that, because of all his different sayings, he had that little the cream of the crop in this interview he did with Mean Gene Okerlund. So I thought, let's use our so just. <laughs> Calling it Aaron Best Player of the Game Award. It's the right. cream of the crop award. Recognizing so. uh, Randy Macho Man Savage. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. R.I.P. Macho Man. R.I.P. And R.I.P. to the rest of this interview with you and me. Now, back in 1998, yeah, I was 26. I was probably a hothead, and I probably did have my team go jump on a logo. I don't know. But I did it for my team's good to kind of get them going a little bit. And it did. It worked. We won. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe – I don't know. I don't think I was a dirty coach. I definitely was a dirty coach, but yeah, I pushed the envelope on that one. There's no question about that. All right, we get back. It's time for a little smidgen of Texans OG podcast. Indy Clue did with Wade Smith. This is some good stuff from ND uh, as he was talking with Wade about his career with the Texans and some of the things that happened in his playing career. That's next right here on Texans All Access. We got one final segment of this edition of Texans All Access from the Hutter Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and you are good pal, Indy Clue, has been catching up with the Texans legends on the Texans OGs podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance 
to catch it. Um, I don't know what you're waiting for because there have been some great guests between Jonathan Wells, Jonathan Joseph. Um, those two were were tremendous. Very, very good. Uh, Moran Norris was also one. I mean, really, really good stuff. Indy has been doing great. Here's a sample of a conversation that Wade Smith did with ND. They talked about Case Keenum and what his presence is like in the building and gets into the playing days of Wade Smith. Here we go, ND with Wade Smith. This is not me being a homer, and I know most people outside of this building will throw up. And a matter of fact, I know a lot of my, my buddies <laughs> when I talk about this, they just shake their head. I love Case Keenum move. Like, I don't think Case Keenum, I'm not saying he should have been the starter the entire time. Right. But in my opinion, from day one, Case Keenum should have always been a Texan. Because one, I get the sense, and you played with him if I'm not mistaken, so you can yes, tell, I me, did. You yes, can I tell did. me if I'm wrong. I get the sense that he understood, accepted, and appreciated his role here in Houston, but I feel like he was also a guy that if he gets in the game, if the starter goes down, you can still expect to win. So he's just one of those guys that I feel like should have always been paid a little bit more than most backups yeah. and make him comfortable and let him know, hey, we're, we're trying to find starters, but we value you. There's always going to be a position for you on this team. I, I've just always had that feeling, and I didn't play with him like you did, so I would love to get your take on it. Yeah, that. man, I love I loved Case as, as a teammate. I thought that he did an excellent job when he got his opportunities his right. rookie year. Um, it was a bad situation going on around him as far as we had a bunch of injuries that year. That was the 2-14 and 14 year. But he came in the huddle, and you believed. Right. Like, you believed that, like, all right, we can we can get this done with this guy. And he made a lot of plays. He made a lot of mistakes. He made a lot of rookie mistakes, um, turning the ball over, things like that, not being able to, you know, see the hots and all that type of stuff. But all he's done was gone to work and get better and better and better. He's gotten opportunities at, at other places, and and he's done well with his opportunities. The reason why Case wasn't here initially, you got to think, when they bring in a new coaching staff – you know, he he was drafted by – or he wasn't drafted. He was an undrafted guy with Gary Kubiak's right, regime. Yeah. And so once that happens and they bring in a Bill O'Brien, that's not your guy. You want to bring in one of your other, one of your guys to be the undrafted guy that's on the roster. So that's why Case had to leave. Now, eventually he came back. Right. Like, he did what he did in other places, and Bill O'Brien's regime brought him back here. To me, that says a lot about a guy. Like, if you can if you can be in an organization, I think I – think, uh, Demps did that too. Q Demps did yep. that too. Like where he was with the the Kubiak regime. I think uh, maybe Daniel Manning might have did that too. Mm -hmm. They were with the Kubiak regime, got let go eventually, and then they came back with the Bill O'Brien regime. To me, if you can play in in, in both, because there's it's a night and day scenario between the two. To me, you're 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 a good football player because it's it's not just completely a scheme fit. There's things you bring to the table as a, as a, a good football player. You also it, it teaches you that lesson: don't burn bridges. Yeah, you know when you leave somewhere, it, this is professional football. It's a profession. You never know what's going to happen. I was actually drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm -hmm. I was cut uh, by the Philadelphia Eagles when they brought in Hugh Douglas, and I broke my hand, and it hurt. But, yeah. hey, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate y'all drafting me. I go to Washington, and then after my rookie contract's up, I sign a five-year deal back with Philadelphia. So I always tell that to my kids. Like, you never know what's going to happen. 
and you you can't burn bridges because you just don't know uh, you know how these things are going to end up. So for you bringing up like Case Keenum, you know when he left, I'm sure he said all the right things, yeah, did all the right things. Daniel Manning, uh, Quentin Demps, who's now coaching at Judson University, yeah, so shout yeah, out yeah. to Quentin Demps. Uh, but there's a lesson in life right there. Yeah, I did not know that you got released by the Eagles. I always thought you were with the Eagles for like eight, nine years, and then you you finished right. up here in Houston. I didn't realize that that even no, it was a total of six years. But they were like, "Nah, brother, you suck." Like, <laughs> you, you, I, look, I didn't release is the nice. I was cut, <laughs> but no, I, I yeah. was cut. Then I kind of found my legs in um in Washington. Yeah, and learned a lot in Washington. And I was playing against Philly. One quick story. Um. And this is before the whole concussion protocol, obviously, uh-huh. it's early 2000s. I was um, in Washington for three years, and I signed a five-year deal to go back to Philly. But that first year back in Philly, a guard pull, and we just had this collision. Mm-hmm. And I was so dazed, I looked at the Washington lock, uh, excuse me, the Washington huddle, mm-hmm. and it was John Jansen, Chris Samuels, all my guys. So I'm just walking over there thinking it was I was at a practice or something. Yeah. And I'll never forget, uh, I saw the film, but I don't remember when it happened. But John Jansen kind of turned me around and pushed me towards my eagle huddle and pointed like, no, you're walking to the wrong <laughs> huddle. And we just laughed about it. Yeah. You know, now I would have missed yeah. eight games. Yeah. You know, yeah. I would have gone through some concussion protocol, but I was so, you know, familiar with those guys. Yeah. Uh, that when I got hit, I was like, uh, oh, I'm supposed to be in this huddle, even though they're on offense. But times have changed. It, it's <laughs> definitely a different world. Yeah. You know, you, you hit somebody and you have that deja vu. Like, man, I've, I've been here before. Yeah. But then you haven't been here before, <laughs> exactly. and and that that's that that you you look back on it's like man I know I had multiple concussions and it was it's just something you didn't really talk about or report it it really didn't start coming into play until after like the the new CBA in 2011 when they you know they started talking about player safety more and they tried to give us a little uh, carrot with the with the off season workouts mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff that's when the really concussions people started to pay attention to them, but there's stories of, you know, I, I, when I look back on them, I kind of feel bad about them. Like, I remember Chris Myers, I know he got a concussion. We didn't, it never got diagnosed, but at the time it was just like, bro, you can't, you can't leave right now. Like, we, we don't, you. we need you right yeah. now. And it was, and you look back on it, you feel like, man, that was, that was terrible to do. But, but when you're in it, effects. yeah, when, when you're in it, yeah. when you're in it, it's just a different yeah. mentality. Like, Playing with broken ribs, broken bones, all that type of stuff, concussions. It was just it's part of the deal. Um, and like you said, it's it's just a completely different ball game. And hopefully, it pays dividends for guys as far as their their post career health yeah. um, going forward in the future. Yeah, and they're smarter because it wasn't even. And I'm a little bit older than you, but it wasn't even like we were trying to be tough. It was more. You know what? I can stand up. I can still run. I might not know my name, but you yeah. know, I can go out there and play. Where yeah. if you tear your ACL or break your leg, it's like I physically can't move. So, but now that we know, like now, nah, if you have too many of these, you know, at forty, you might be forgetting your name and pissing on yourself. So right. I, I just think it's the knowledge. Now I know you like that. There's no question. You like that. You like that. You like it when Andy talks to former players. So make sure you're checking out the Texans OGs podcast. Andy Kalu, love. Having him uh, as part of everything that we do. Love Wade Smith. Wade, done radio with him. Shows with him. Talked to him all the time. I mean, just a great ambassador uh, for this organization, as is ND. So, appreciate those guys for being by. Appreciate Mark 
and Drew and DP and Will Anderson who sang Adele tonight, to Nick Casario, to Wes Durham, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll be back tomorrow night. The General will be with us live before Thursday night football, and then we'll carry you through the weekend and get ready for Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons from the ATL. We'll see you then, everybody, and as always, go Texans.